All right. We are back to the Dayton to Detroit podcast once again. Another week. I-75 umbilical. <laughs> that is about that is a truer statement has never been made. How you doing, Doc? Doing great. Doing great. Enjoying the December weather in Detroit. We got no snow. It looks like fall, not winter, but that's okay. Yeah, we got uh it's a little wet out today. It looks it's but it's uh it's mushroom foraging weather. A little Perfect. warm. You know, yeah. I mean for December. Uh and uh been raining kind of foggy so if you're out there wanting to look for some of those colder season mushrooms out in the forest wherever you're at it would be a uh, i believe it would be a good time to do so what's our uh what's our temperature at? yeah it's been like it's gonna be like in the 50s this week so we'll it's see some colder in detroit we were colder. uh thursday we're at 46 now so it's not quite mushroom foraging. Today we're today we're probably ten degrees colder than you are. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, Aristotle and I had breakfast uh, a little while ago. We had an interesting discussion going on. One of the things I'm fascinated about is that the ancient Greeks saw themselves as um, the children of Cain from the the old Cain and Abel story mm-hmm. and the uh, the British government and the Greek government are, are as we speak embroiled in a bitter dispute over the carved marble frieze of the Parthenon that the Brits took home to London a uh, hundred years over a hundred years ago and, and the Greeks would like it back and the Brits said no we you know finders keepers and the thing about it is, is that the carvings that were displayed on the end of the Parthenon, they were brightly painted and they were essentially a comic book representation for any illiterate Greek to walking, walking through the Acropolis to, to look up and say, oh, that's who we are. That's where we came from. This is our story. And it's the same story that's told in the book of Genesis in the Bible, but told from the other side. The serpent uh, told Adam and Eve, you are free. You are not slaves of Yahweh. And furthermore, uh, here's knowledge. Here's uh, the knowledge of fire. Here's the knowledge of metallurgy. And so, you know, Lucifer, Marduk, Sisyphus Prometheus uh, giving humans their freedom and giving them knowledge. Uh, that's who the Greeks believed they were. So it's, it's the same story told in the Bible, but from the other side. Well, um, if I'm not incorrect, I believe this, you know, we were talking last week about the Zoroastrianism, which is the, for people unfamiliar with, it's the first monotheistic religion, if I'm correct. Um, and so. then, yeah, and then a lot of the other monotheistic, uh, meaning one God, you know, we believe in one God, not multiple gods. And, um, from what I understand that the story of Horus, um, which I believe is a Zoroastrian in the Zoroastrian canon, I may be wrong. Um, I know Horus, um, is the virgin birth story. 
comes comes from Egypt, and there's mm-hmm. yeah the virgin birth. Uh, in fact, uh, it, something was on uh, YouTube recently. I was looking at that basically half what's been attributed to Jesus Christ: you know, virgin birth, born in a stable, three wise men visiting, uh, bearing gifts. That's that's all Horus uh, before Jesus, and of course, you know. Somebody's always got some explanation of it. Well, well that yeah. was the devil. That was the devil mimicking the true Christ. Well, the you way know, I look a, at it, a thousand it is years like, before him in Egypt. You, I think it's more like a situation of, uh, okay, we uh, we conquered this land. Uh, we're gonna need a religion, right? We gotta, you know, or we'll be embroiled in constant, uh, you know fights against the populace and so hey what's worked in the past hey the zoroastrians uh, that worked and then it went on i forget after zoroastrianism what was the next virgin birth story of a religion um but yeah uh let's use that like let's use that model it's, it's uh it's, okay you know, why, re- why reinvent the wheel that was uh a little interruption there uh-oh what happened um, our friend who are you in a position to be able to text him the uh, link the meeting I will text it to you how about that okay (laughs) and um, yeah just because I don't want to like uh, yep say anything you know sure sure see something say something Yeah. We're working on him. We're working on him. Technical difficulties. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are working hard at it right now. We're going to try to get Aristotle on the air. Uh, He seems to have lost the. the link to the uh, meeting space that we meet in here and record in, but I have forwarded it to the uh, proper authorities at this time. Um, that would be Doc, and uh, we're going to try to get Aristotle. But if Aristotle doesn't come, you know, okay, that's just, that's just Aristotle's yeah. loss, isn't it? We sent it off. <laughs> yeah, the. Uh, uh, I wish I knew more about the Zoroastrians uh, and the Egyptians and the Sumerians. It's, I kind of came late to the study of all that stuff, uh, but uh, I enjoy uh, reading it and uh, learning more about it. And the uh, there's certainly a, a lot to learn. And uh, the, the one of the interesting things to me is that not that long ago. Um, in the West, we thought the Bible, you know, stood alone as the only extant book that old. And now, you know, we're able to translate the Egyptian hieroglyphs, and and we have the uh, the great Hittite libraries, which most of them, I think, remain untranslated. Um, I can translate all of them. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> yes, I can translate all ancient religious texts that have yet to be translated. And the translation is uh, power group wanting to exert control by taking advantage of existential angst. The most, uh, <laughs> yeah. pr most proven way to control a population. Uh, so we make up a story that uh, feeds into your natural born existential angst. Um, you know, we can make it a sky god. Uh, you can make it, you know, there's all kinds of gods you can make up. Sun god, uh, sky god, a vengeful god. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you get a story out and, you know, I don't think before the internet happened, you know, the internet is where religion goes to die. But before the internet, that was the model everywhere. You know, it was, you know, different, different God story, different places. But essentially it was like, uh, and you see, you know, the state and church working in concert in almost every one of these places. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the translation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope it's a little more nuanced than that, but Me I, too, I, I but... give you the preponderance of evidence is, is on your side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, and you know we all we, we want to like like assign like evil intent to everyone doing it, but it's really just almost like the playbook. Gotta have our religion in here, or, you know. We won't be able to do all these things because the uh, all these ne'er do wells will be banging at the gate. <laughs> we kind of get the. Uh the God we demand, the one that <laughs> hate those we fear. Xenophobia run, runs deep in this <laughs> well, race. Yeah, plus we hate ourselves, right? Uh, <laughs> so uh, we got to hate others. Self-loathing. Like yeah, I mean, like, do you think this, this culture is based on self-loathing? And it's not like we're natural self-loathers. But like, just look at all the messages you receive every day that tell that tell you you are uh, lesser in some way. Whether that's like, you know, you don't look like a movie star. Uh, um, that's the first one. You know, there's just a thousand messages every day we see that like, you know, whoever like the you know the most aesthetically pleasing person there is that that's who's being the representation that we all need to strive for. But as Frank Zappa Here's said, Paul and I had a an interesting exchange before breakfast today, and he pointed out that uh, you know at one time not that long ago, and and it seems to be making a resurgence. We had the idea that uh, the richer you are, uh, the more morally superior you are. <laughs> not, just, uh, not just the beautiful people, not just the prettier you are. All right, that's a byproduct of social Darwinism. Yeah, and that idea. And uh, Devo was pushing that idea too. Yeah, Devo, the art, the art rock band from Akron, Ohio. Devo, the whole idea was de-evolution. Is that de-evolution? Uh, yes, that's what Devo stands for. And yeah, they were adherents of the Church of Subgenius. I understand. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the whole thing was a bunch of it art students. Great yeah, uh, Devo, kind of in the same way, and I'm kind of glad we're getting uh, a little bit out of more some of the more existential um, 
conversation. This since this is a Ohio slash Michigan Dayton Detroit podcast. Um, <clears throat> Devo, yeah, they were like they're kind of like in a way they, they were just art students and the devolution thing. I forget which which member of Devo was his original idea. Uh, and they did some art shows, and somehow they eventually became a band. Um, and maybe it was one of them. Like, you know, how can we get this to go? But and then let's, let's turn it into a music act. Um, are you f- familiar with the band Guar? G W A R. Oh, yeah. Yes, sure. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Me. Yes. Probably. Um, you know, they took Kiss's idea for outrageous stage costumes. And they, they took it well beyond uh, where Kiss had it. Yes, I have moshed in the blood-soaked guar uh, mosh pit. <laughs> I took my daughter uh, was two years ago. Uh, on New Year's Eve, we went to see guar in Cincinnati. Um, two years was, ago? Yeah, they're the still at it. Guar was more like 20 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, so they started out, they were a bunch of art students uh in richmond virginia i believe it was and uh graduated and we're like what do we do with all this art and theater experience and one of them was like let's make a metal make a metal band theater (laughs) (laughs) and so they learned to play power incredibly wild costumes yes yes guar i love guar like uh, their whole idea the idea (laughs) behind guar is that they are like scum dogs of the universe sent to the planet earth to exterminate the filthy human race (laughs) and uh, if you go to see one of their shows there's like i mean if you look at you know if you google guar you're going to see some of the most like wild photograph they do a lot of uh they'll bring different characters out and um you know cut their 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 midsections open with knives of course this is all fake um and you know yeah spill their blood out and then they the, the lead singer has a cow udder with, instead of like uh, cow nipples, it's got like eight uh, big penises on the end. That huh. it's, like, it's like a cow udder with eight penises that shoot blood onto the crowd. It's, okay. It's fake if blood. Nothing, yeah, nothing else this is in good taste. Yes. It's. Ve- <laughs> <laughs> But the energy at a Guar show is great. Everyone loves each other. Uh, and as and a you and time. your daughter went to Guar recently. Yeah, two years ago. Two years. And she, and she and she loved it too. She was like, "This is great." Dad, yeah, a they cow brought, with eight penises spewing yeah. blood upon the audience. It, well, what she really liked was when they brought they brought a uh, a Donald Trump uh, figure out on stage and they uh, <laughs> disemboweled Donald Trump in front of the audience and. Nice. Everyone really liked that. So, well, that I would pay to see. I think they also have like a giant theatrical anus that eats people too. Hey, wait a minute. This bears repeating. A giant theatrical anus. anus. Yeah, that the- eats people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <a> rock show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, definitely. And they, and they claimed our culture was was hitting low points. Yeah. <laughs> No, Guar is just actually, I uh, mean, just amazingly creative, and you never. I mean, sometimes it's like, are, are is this a thing or is this a thing making fun of the thing? I don't know, but and I don't care. 
<laughs> so much damn like a really appropriate metaphor for where we're at in so many ways. Yeah, we're in the middle of a Guar concert. <laughs> Except we just didn't choose to buy tickets. <laughs> well, we're privileged that way. Yeah, well, I bought Guar tickets, and I will buy Guar tickets again. You know, if they come around. I missed them this year. They came, I think, recently, but, you know, they're around. Shows how out of touch I am. I had no idea they were still around, but that's great. I'm My heart is gladdened. <laughs> the Guar is still at it. Yes. Yeah, the original singer, uh, he died a few years back. And now they've, uh, we got a new guy. Um, not as quite as uh, charismatic, but uh, still quite entertaining. Yeah, the lead singer, he's all, in addition to his giant cow udder full of like eight penises, he also wears like a, a yeah. mo- moose antlers. They're like, eight feet wide <laughs> and, he, and he's big and like he looks like a giant viking <laughs> I gotta, eight feet wide and trouble getting through a door yeah he don't care though <laughs> yeah. he's some guar he's a scum dog <laughs> of the universe so yeah. basically um marauding pillaging aliens have descended on earth to to exterminate the humans. Yes. To do the universe a favor. <laughs> yeah. They're like heroes. <laughs> well, you, you look at the possibility for, uh, you know, lawyers escaping the surly bonds of gravity into space. and Earth human lawyers start to colonize space. Whatever galactic justice rules has got to take action and and a guar would be the only appropriate response <laughs> well like, I, I'm guessing Aristotle you are uh you are a guar virgin am I correct absolutely all right well yeah just... really unfamiliar see I don't really follow rock that's okay I don't I don't too much uh but guar is just one they're one. Once you see them, you'll you can't forget them. <laughs> you know, you just uh, once you're aware of Guar and like, yeah. So just Google Guar, G W A R, and you can find all kinds of photo photographs and yeah, ultimate stagecraft and uh, show business to another level. Um, they have some pretty good songs too. You know, they're they're definitely not a, uh, you know. Um, if you're steeped in music theory and you know live for the day listening to uh, Miles Davis or perhaps uh, Edward Van Halen uh, playing classical licks instead of the rock licks, um, maybe you might not like them. But I like uh, they're just a good rock band and they're based on fun, uh, some shit that make you think, like a lot of irony. And uh, yeah, the show has been going on for decades now. You a, Aristotle could give you a a strong grounding in uh, in opera, and has oh, okay. of, uh, very, some of the earliest recordings. Yeah, I collect historical recordings. Okay, yeah. Figaro. 
Yeah, I've got stuff going all the way back to uh, about 1888. Whoa. I think that's, that's about the oldest thing in my collection. Was that the original Edison? Uh, um, saying, actually, this is a phonograph. It, 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 well, it's a transcription. Okay. It's, I, don't, I don't collect cylinders, uh, but it, it's a transcription of an Edison cylinder. Actually, I think this was done in 1895. Um, but I mean, the guar of its day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then our day is. Uh, you had to go to a special to, to hear any of this crap. You had to go to a special place where they were doing public demonstrations with listening tubes. There's strange stuff back then. Well, you, you know, when a, ri a radio originally came out, it was like you know, you always you hear uh, the whole family was gathered around the TV set. Yeah, yeah. Well, that well now it's the opposite. Everyone's gathered around six different television sets of their own kind. Each has yeah. their own screen in their own room. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think that maybe one be one of the biggest stories of uh, the earliest 20th century is how society is dealing with no longer having a singular narrative and instead a million narratives, like culturally. Um, because it used to be, you know, we've talked about this no one before. Can even agree on basic facts as the truth anymore. No, things well, that would never have been in question. Well, everything yeah. got politically charged. But there's also not. Yeah, you know, there used to be like there were three outlets uh, for television news. There All were right. like one newspaper. There was you know, radio stations, and most of them didn't deal with politics anyways, music. So now you've got a million, but no one's coming from, like, a common source. And so, yeah, I think that is part of definitely what some of the chaos of our world is that we don't know how to deal with the Internet. Chalmers Johnson said, America is an empire, whether or not the American people will know it. And as an empire, we will be visited by the four sorrows of empire, that all empires. And those are a blizzard of lies, loss of the rule of law, um, bankruptcy, moral, spiritual, economic bankruptcy. And it seems like I forgot one of them. A blizzard of lies, the rule of law. Uh, it doesn't matter. It, yeah, but it, there's it a... Up. So why do people keep doing it? Because there's a long period of riches until the, uh, you know, it's like an alcoholic has a great time until he hits bottom. <laughs> you know. Um, Empires arise. There seems to be... Uh... Yeah, no impetus for a, a rising empire to restrain itself. Yeah. So, or is there an example of like an empire? It's like, oh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna pull back a little bit. You know, we we see what's going on. We we're studied in history. Uh, don't want to set ourselves up too much. Or is it always just uh, 
I gotta get everything I can get while I can get it. There's a lot of interesting discussion uh, going back for years. Well, uh, looking at the span of empires and uh, kind of uh, conjecturing who will be the empire that succeeds the United States. Uh, every empire, that, I mean, historically, every empire has been maintained militarily. And as soon as the army collapses or uh, uh, ceases to be effective, you get an empire change, you get regime change. Um, you know, once Rome could no longer defend itself, uh, bam -o. You know, the, 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 whole, the whole thing fell apart. And it was the same thing with the Athenian Empire to the, to the extent that it had one. Uh, Egyptian, Babylonian, Hittite. Um, thing a lot of people have not actually noticed is the United States Navy which had maintained a hegemony of the seas since World War II, is basically given it up. We are uh, we are no longer going to police the world's sea lanes, and that is what made global trade possible. So um, when did this happen? Alone, yeah. When did this happen? Yeah, right, when in did the this, last when, twenty years? Because I just I just heard Lloyd Austin talking not too. Uh, long ago, uh, I believe he's the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff right now. Um, yeah. that uh, defense. that part of the yeah, U.S. mission, defense. yeah, that part of the U.S. mission as it has always been. And he was really saying this like he's saying the loud part or the quiet part out loud, uh, mm -hmm. was to keep lanes of commerce open in the world, and I yeah. and that's basically. That's he can say it, but it doesn't change the fact that we can't build ships anymore. And who can? The Chinese. Uh, we've been eclipsed as shipbuilders by the Chinese, by the South Koreans, by the Japanese. And uh, our the U.S. Navy has a real problem procuring working warships. We have just commissioned... Uh, the first of our new generation of super carriers, the USS Gerald Ford. And, and guess what? It doesn't work. It cannot sustain flight operations. They, it's got a, a system of uh, electromagnetic launchers that replaced steam catapults. And they break down all the time. And unlike a steam catapult, when the EMALS launcher breaks down, everyone on the ship goes down. So the USS Gerald Ford is unable to sustain the kind of numbers of flights that are required uh, for an aircraft carrier to operate. It's a gigantic scandal that basically nobody knows about, no one's paying any attention about. Donald Trump denounced it and, and, and spoke the truth and said, the ship is garbage. It's the most expensive ship we've ever commissioned. It's only one of a whole series of absolute disasters. The United States Navy is, by and large, unable to buy warships. You have to wonder why this happened. Yeah, I wonder why this happened. To me, uh, you know, I look at... Uh, 
empires when they become corrupt. It's hard to find anyone competent and honest to do anything. The navy of the emperors of China fell into disrepair because the dowager empress spent all the money allocated to maintain the navy on palaces and parties. The Ottoman navy, once the scourge of the Mediterranean, fell into disrepair because the Ottoman Empire became corrupt. So you're saying deindustrialization in the uh, starting in the 70s has led to a problem with the U.S. Navy today. Well, the shipyards are all gone. Well, that's We're that's kind of where family. it started of us like uh, outsourcing all of our manufacturing. Sure, you're exactly right. The defense industrial base is eroded. Yes. Mm -hmm. The raw materials, we don't mine, we don't manufacture. And uh, so, yeah, the cost of building a ship in an American shipyard is now so high. But then the Navy procurement system is so broken and it's between the Navy, the Congress, and the shipbuilders. Don't expect uh, that to get fixed then. They built a class of small warship. It was going to be crucial to our Navy, the LCS, the Littoral Combat Ship. It is an unmitigated disaster. They're universally known as the little crappy ship. And they're already, they're flushing them out of the Navy. Five, ships five years old. They're utter garbage. They built two of them to two totally different designs. And they were supposed to buy, you know, like 30 of each design. They're both absolute garbage. But you knew if you were reading and looking, they knew they were garbage when they set out to buy them. And they admitted almost as soon as they got into the fleet that they didn't work. And they, they were not a ship that could go in harm's way. Meanwhile, the Chinese are building just a standard old Corvette small warship tried and true not getting fancy like we tried to yeah so uh <laughs> what do you predict our command of the seas will end well it's it's basically gone now it's we just haven't seen any horrific consequences from it but you know we wore the what navy we did have out during the uh the 20 years of war mm -hmm. and uh our, our ships are old they're worn down and, uh, and the u.s military has a real problem with recruiting right now yes it's down like 15 percent, i do believe and a lot of reasons for that, but the biggest one I see, and you know, I was like, a lot of kids going in right now, um, they saw what happened to their parents or their parents' friends uh, mm -hmm. growing up who were uh, involved in the military or had, you know, a loved one in their family. Um, After 9 11, you know, the kids yeah. got out of school and went straight to the recruiter because their uncles, their fathers, their grandfathers, their great uncles, had gone and uh you know they went to serve in this uh, and the specter of 9-11 was was really really heavy but uh that could also change overnight too like something like uh a world event could 
line line people up to recruiting offices overnight. We've seen that happen before. But the best way Harbor like event. Yeah. Just what the just what the neocons called for, uh, you know, 10 minutes before 9-11 happened. Y'all, and now we're finding out that I guess uh, Israel knew like a year in advance of uh, Hamas's plans. Right. So it's so right. it's always good to keep shit. I hadn't heard for, that. That's the that's yeah. the first I've I've they, heard that or any. Yeah, Israel, I mean, that's conspiracy Israel. theory, right? Or, or saying intelligence. This is confirmed. Mm-hmm. Israel itself then, is confirmed. So then, it's what intelligence failure, uh, failure of the it, it, of anybody fact, to heed the intelligence. It, it yeah, they didn't believe that Hamas. I don't know. It's, it's some combination of. They didn't believe that Hamas really meant it, and they didn't believe that Hamas could actually pull it off. Okay. But they knew about it about a year in advance. They actually had the detailed plan. Wow, well, you'd think... <laughs> yeah. You'd think if they had the detailed plan that there ought to be some more questions being you asked think, about... Well, I guess the questions are being asked, but... Uh, they're not being asked of us, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard it said that Netanyahu is going to be fighting for his life over this. Yeah. So we got five minutes, by the way, guys. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, BB. He's, he's pretty much a dirty crook. And, uh, you know, the Israeli uh, justice system had him dead to rights. And he was gone, but he's he's managed to live on politically it's never about winning the war it's about keep it's about winning the right to keep the war machine going yeah yeah who uh, was very unpopular for his desire to gut the power of the israeli supreme court to have any oversight over him and so i guess the war is pretty convenient in that respect well, it, you've the got questions about his handling of the run-up. Don't bring him down. Uh, there are three sources of pull. I'm fond of saying this as if I were an expert. Uh, there are three sources, ultimately, of political power. One, the army. Two, big money. Three, the mob. <laughs> the, the mob. The mob is actually the most powerful. I would say the is hard to control. I would say money is the most powerful because that money, actually, the other, the, the other two don't exist. Somebody, somebody like Robespierre, who can mobilize, <laughs> who can actually mobilize the mob, uh, can overrun anything. But uh, the difficulty is the, you know, the mob. It's fickle. It's very hard to control the mob. <laughs> I mean, really, one of the few guys who sort of managed to do it over the long run uh, was Fidel Castro. Well, you have to you have to connect a lot of disparate mobs, right? Yeah, so, like, I know. Right. Yeah, every ethnic right. group or you know whatever interest group has its mob. You know, we talked about uh, one of the earlier episodes about the Appalachian mob yeah. in Dayton, and it's. Just because there's a lot of Appalachians here, like who moved, and I'm sure there's like a, a Lebanese mob in Dearborn, 
before. I think you're on They're, the wrong mob. He means he means the rioters in the street, not the mafia. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, that yeah. too. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a popular mob. It's not an organized crime mob. Okay. Organized crime mob is more like big money. Yeah. They're an ancillary to big money. Yeah, I think. But the the other one is the army. You know, if you control the army, uh, that that that's a route to political power. Well, if the mob if the mob is swayed by a demagogue and takes control of the streets and overthrows the government, frequently it's going to take the army to come in to restore order. That, that's true. But if if the army isn't doesn't wind up uh, making common cause with a mob. But well, we saw the army uh, in the run-up to January the 6th, the head of the army publicly making statements, we will not support a uh, continuation of, of this administration, uh, you know, extra-legally. Yeah. Well, that was a pretty piss-poor... That was a... January 6th was sort of a piss-poor uprising if you know what i mean it was just a beer hall putsch yeah yeah it, it is a hair's like, breath from it isn't, it isn't like storming the bastille mm-hmm. you know is that quite in the same week it could have been prevent the certification that day yeah. and then there was all sorts of other mischief that could have been done yeah but it wasn't like the russian revolution no all in scale yeah yeah, and there was, there was no up. real organization or really even agreement as to what the uh, the outcome was. It's it a it's a bunch of yeah. dummies like uh, yeah. corralling around, not really knowing what they're doing. But if someone was yeah. really smart, it could have been a lot worse. With that said, thing. We, we got oh, hardly any time left. Trump was a low energy conspirator, low yeah. intelligence. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was sad, like it was pathetic. When it, as far as uh, good <laughs> if only he had real revolutionary genius. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a great week. I look forward yeah. to talking to you next week. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, you take it easy. Yeah. It's good to Take talk care. To you. And stay All right. Well, you too, man. Stay well. We'll see you guys. Bye bye. Okay.